Amen. Hey, we are once again on the topic of world religions, cults, and the occult is our study. And we finally made it to the third topic, and it rhymes with Islam. Let me guys figure that out. Yeah, okay, it's Islam, okay? And what we're going to see, just give a little teaser, if we can make it that far tonight, we're going to talk about the spread of Islam around the world, and we're going to take a look at the methodologies that are being used. You and I, of course, uh, we would use, of course, the Spirit of God as Christians, right? We use the Spirit of God. We share God's truth. The Spirit of God gives birth to that, life to that, and people get saved and become born again. What you're going to see, obviously, with this one is what they use is the sword of man, okay, is why uh, it's progressing. It has, as we kind of left off last time, that's how Islam has really advanced to the world. But we're also going to take a look at some other things tonight. We're going to look at why is it spreading? Because of population. We'll get to that right off the bat. Islamization, or in other words, basically your culture is becoming an Islamic culture, and they do that through, believe it or not, lying. Okay, amongst other things, we'll get to that in a little bit. And then, of course, annihilation, jihad, and that's where they're going to take uh, you out. And again, as we've been seeing in our study so far, it's not just the Jewish person, it's anybody, the people of the book, which includes you and I, the Christian, okay? But by way, recap, if you were here last time, we saw the history of Islam, okay? So Islam, of course, means submission, and a Muslim is one who is submitted, a submitted one. To what? To the teachings of Muhammad that supposedly came from Allah. Well, how did he get this? Well, he went into this cave, and, and at first, as we saw in the historical record, his own words, he thought it was an evil jinn or some evil spirit or something going on, and he wasn't too hip to this. But his family kind of said, okay, no, no, this is okay. Allah wouldn't lie to you, and he eventually went along with it uh, per se okay even he had some misgivings when this supposed angel gabriel it's always that okay uh goes on as we saw joseph smith did the same thing last week remember that how did he get his new revelation just like with the islam with muhammad okay he was looking in at, he supposedly got some gold plates from this angel moroni okay and he looked into a hat with the rock in it and supposedly here comes the, what okay anytime you get outside of this book folks you're in trouble Okay, and that's, again, why we have the birth of not just false teaching, but even the major religions around the planet, okay? And that's what we saw. And by the way, Islam, we saw just a little bit. In a couple of weeks, we're going to get even more great detail of what do they actually believe and teach. And it is absolutely diametrically opposed to Christianity. Right out of the gates, it's a works-based salvation. Even then, you still don't even know, okay, if you're ever going to make it to, quote, paradise, as they would call it. Okay, uh, it is not like Christianity, and yet the crazy thing is, you got people out there promoting what's called Chrislam, that Christian, Christianity and Islam can meld together. Rick Warren, as we saw, is one of the big proponents of that amongst other people. It's just absolutely crazy, and basically what we're hopefully going to learn is if you, somebody comes up to you and say, hey, you know, don't you know that they can work together, Islam and Christianity? What they just told you is, number one, you don't know anything about Islam, apparently, and you certainly don't know biblical Christianity, because they are diametrically opposed, Okay. But again, we're going to get more detail in a few weeks, Lord willing, uh, even deeper in their doctrine. We just did a little teaser. But we left off last time, and we're going into the history. How did this all get started, and Muhammad, and all this stuff, and all the way up to his death, and then after he died, and, and then how did it spread basically down here through annihilation, battle after battle after battle after battle. And they started off as a small group. After many years, they only had like 40 converts, and they were hurting financially, and all of a sudden, here comes a new revelation. Hey, it's okay to raid these people and kill them and take their cash, and financial things solved. And it's like, what? And from then on, and even today, folks, it's always by taking over. Again, when you and I, we share the gospel in love because we love people, right? And we share, we give them a chance, right? And, and what they do with it, that's between them and God. And, you know, we hope they get saved, but if they don't, what do you do? You kill them. No, who said that? No, you don't. You just, that's the spirit of God, right? We just deliver in love, right? You submit to this. That's what it means, a submitted one, Muslim, or you're going to die, Okay? This is serious stuff, folks. And what we're going to see tonight is it is spreading. It is spreading across the world at a crazy rate, even here in the United States. And if you don't think the things that are going on right now in Europe that are starting to make the news isn't going to come here, you're in la-la land, with all due respect. Okay, let's take a look at that tonight. We left off at the middle of the second page there. Today, Islam is the second largest, is your first blank there, the second largest and the fastest growing religion in the world, okay? According to the 2009 CIA World Book Fact, 22.43% of the world population is Muslim, compared to, listen to this, 
33.35% of professing Christians. Now, we got to explode that again because in our introduction, we saw that 33 plus percent, okay, is not true. They say Christians, but that figure included non-Christian groups. It included the Catholics. Roman Catholicism is not biblical Christianity. We have a whole chapter on that, Lord willing, coming up. Okay, you got the Catholics and you even got pseudo-fake Christian groups like Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. They're all lumped into that too. So what we saw when you look at the facts, the real Christian number on the world is you're down to something probably around 6%. So, you know, because people look at the thing, oh, 33%, we're doing good. No, we're not. Right? And then you start looking at that number. Remember that? And you start, you start seeing phrasing. Like we see, hey, when the rapture happens, man, there's going to be so many people leaving this planet. Blow. Well, I think there'll be quite a few. But when you take a look and you, you get away from the, the, peel away the layers of everybody who claims to be a Christian is a Christian, right? Then you wonder why Jesus said, many go to the broad road, only a few on the narrow. And it's what we see even with the statistics today, even after 2,000 years of sharing the gospel, okay? Uh, we're getting fewer and fewer, okay? Uh, but let's take a look at, at some of these uh, statistics. Although Islam was born in Arabia, today most of Islam's adherents are not of Arab descent, Okay, countries like Indonesia, Pakistan, Bangladesh, and India have large Muslim populations. In fact, once again, we're going to take now a look at the first pillar, if you will, of why is Islam spreading so fast? Why is it the second largest and the fastest growing on the planet? And the first one is they take over just by nature of population. Okay, by population. And let's take a look at uh, our first video clip. Now, by the way, got to apologize. I'm not going to keep moving this board frontwards and backwards tonight. I got about five video clips if we make it that far of information. So if you can't see uh, the, the video screen here, I know this is going to break a Southern Baptist tradition. And you may not have said this word in your whole existence as a Christian. Move. <laughs> You're going to have to move. I'm sorry, but we got a lot to cover, so let's get going. According to research, in order for a culture to maintain itself for more than 25 years, there must be a fertility rate of 2.11 children per family. With anything less, the culture will decline. Historically, no culture has ever reversed a 1.9 fertility rate. A rate of 1.3 impossible to reverse because it would take 80 to 100 years to correct itself and there is no economic model that can sustain a culture during that time in other words if two sets of parents each have one child there are half as many children as parents if those children have one child then there are one-fourth as many grandchildren as grandparents if only a million babies are born in 2006 it's hard to have two million adults enter the workforce in 2026. As the population shrinks, so does the culture. As of 2007, the fertility rate in France was 1.8, England 1.6, Greece 1.3, Germany 1.3, Italy 1.2, Spain 1.1 Across the entire European Union of 31 countries, the fertility is a mere 1.38. Historical research tells us these numbers are impossible to reverse. In a matter of years, Europe as we know it will cease to exist. Yet the population of Europe is not declining. Why? Immigration. Islamic immigration. Of all population growth in Europe since 1990, 90% has been Islamic immigration. France, 1.8 children per family. Muslims, 8.1. In southern France, traditionally one of the most populated church regions in the world, there are now more mosques than churches. 30% of children ages 20 and younger are Islamic. In the larger cities such as Nice, Marseille and Paris that number has grown to 45 percent. By 2027 one in five Frenchmen will be Muslim. In just 39 years France will be an Islamic Republic. In the last 30 years 
the Muslim population of Great Britain rose from 82,000 to 2.5 million, a 30-fold increase. There are over 1,000 mosques, many of them former churches. In the Netherlands, 50% of all newborns are Muslim, and in only 15 years, half of the population of the Netherlands will be Muslim. In Russia, there are over 23 million Muslims. That's one out of five Russians. 40% of the entire Russian army will be Islamic in just a few short years. Currently in Belgium, 25% of the population and 50% of all newborns are Muslim. The government of Belgium has stated one-third of all European children will be born to Muslim families by 2025, just 17 years away. The German government, the first to talk about this publicly, recently released a statement saying, the fall in the German population can no longer be stopped. Its downward spiral is no longer reversible. It will be a Muslim state by the year 2050. Muammar al-Qaddafi of Libya said, There are signs that Allah will grant victory to Islam in Europe without swords, without guns, without conquest. We don't need terrorists. We don't need homicide bombers. The 50-plus million Muslims in Europe will turn it into a Muslim continent within a few decades. There are currently 52 million Muslims in Europe. The German government said that number is expected to double in the next 20 years to 104 million. Closer to home, the numbers tell a similar story. Right now, Canada's fertility rate is 1.6 nearly a full point below what is required to sustain a culture. And Islam is now the fastest growing religion. Between 2001 and 2006, Canada's population increased by 1.6 million, 1.2 of those immigration. In the United States, the current fertility rate of American citizens is 1.6. With the influx of the Latino nations, the rate increases to 2.11, the bare minimum required to sustain a culture. In 1970, there were 100,000 Muslims in America. Today, there are over 9 million. The world is changing. It's time to wake up. Three years ago, a meeting of 24 Islamic organizations was held in Chicago. The transcripts of that meeting showed in detail their plans to evangelize America through journalism, politics, education, and more. They said, we must prepare ourselves for the reality that in 30 years, there will be 50 million Muslims living in America. The world that we live in is not the world in which our children and grandchildren will live. The Catholic Church recently reported that Islam has just surpassed their membership numbers. Some studies show that at Islam's current rate of growth, in five to seven years, it will be the dominant religion of the world. As believers, we call upon you to join the effort to share the gospel message with the changing world. This is a call to action. Very sobering. Wow. Man, turn to your wife and say, honey. I'm going to get to that in a second. But uh, it's time to turn to your wife and say, honey, we've got to do something about this terrorism thing. As far as I'm going to say, the rest is up to you. But excuse me, can you believe that? See, most of us miss this point. We think about, oh, you know, it's going to be obvious. No, by sheer, and this is happening all over the world. Okay, now to answer your question, that was 2008 statistics, 2008. Just look today. It went from 9 million here in the United States. It's now up to 12 million, 12 million. Okay, and we're going to get just how deep uh, this really is, okay? But they're taking over literally the planet by nature of population, immigration, birth rates coming in, and, they're, and their culture is not going to bend to our culture, okay? And we'll get to that uh, in just a second, because we think, oh, they're going to come over here, they're going to, you know, follow the Bill of Rights and come. 
No, and that's the rub, and we'll get to that hopefully uh, in a little bit. But again, just by way of just sharing with you uh, kind of the challenges going on uh, in the church, we're thinking, okay, well, yeah, okay, other than that other thing, that you know, we could increase our own population, all right, uh, tactic. What, what do you say? This is a call to action. So as Christians, we want to make a difference. If you want to stave this off, because this is really happening to our planet, okay, then we need to what? We need to get out there, and we need to call to action, evangelize. We need to get out there to share the gospel. The problem is that's not what we're doing, okay? Even the Southern Baptists, I want to share with you some statistics, and this just came out recently, okay? The Southern Baptists uh, are on record. Have, have now, we have now planted more churches in record. We now have more churches than ever. But did you know the numbers of Southern Baptists has declined? So what does that tell you? I'm not against church planting, but is that the solution? No, you can plant a church, but if they don't emphasize the need to evangelize, what good did you accomplish? And there's a lot of plenty of good churches that need to be equipped and people need to be encouraged to evangelize. So I'm not against this, so don't look at me as some rebel or anti-biblical. No, we need to plant churches. I'm not against that. But even the latest statistics saying we have dumped all these resources and our time and effort into just planting churches, think that's going to fix it, and it's not. If you want to make a difference, it's a saved soul. It's not another building. Okay, so use that in balance. But anyway, let me share some statistics. These are talk about 2008 when I was in New York, about the same year, 2008, and I came across this Southern Baptist pastor long before I knew God was going to call us here. Okay, and he was speaking at a Southern Baptist pastor's conference. Okay, Vody Bachman, if you haven't heard of him. Okay, and uh, he shared some sobering statistics about Southern Baptists, and he says currently at that time was about 16 million. Okay, I think right now we're at about 15.5. We're going down the tubes. Okay, now the, the concern is... Uh, that Southern Baptists are one of the last vestige of evangelical Christianity, okay? That's holding, holding on at this point, okay? But he said, what's happening, the current trend of something doesn't change, if we don't take this serious evangelize, whether it's Islam or whatever, okay? Uh, we're going down the tubes. We literally are going out of existence, right? And all we got to do is bide their time. If the Lord should tarry and the rapture doesn't occur, okay, we are going to go out of existence. He says right now at the rate of decline in the Southern Baptist Church, okay, with all the things that we're doing, okay, we're spending like 1.2 billion, not million, every year on missions, not against missions, whatever, but something's not working. Something's not translating into the local church that not just the pastor, not just the missionary support, not just the new church plant, but you Christians sitting in the pew, you need to evangelize. That's the missing element. He says, because of this, what's happening, he says, in the next generation, at this projected rate, we will go from 16 million down to 4 million. The next generation after that, we will be down to 1 million. And in three generations, if something doesn't turn around real quick, this is a warning in 2008. He says, we will be down to 250,000. And who's escalating? We will be in such an extreme minority, it's not even funny. Now, other fake Christianity will still be out there, but who's going to be sharing the gospel? Who's going to be left, right, uh, so to speak, okay? But that's the sobering uh, statistics that we got to deal with. In fact, uh, Frank Page, this is just recent, with these uh, statistics, the president of Southern Baptist, he said, the truth is we have less people in our churches who are giving less money because we're winning less people to Christ, and we're not training them in the spiritual disciplines of our Lord. And I'm not saying this is toot my own horn. This is what I feel led to do. This is why we're doing what we're doing. This is why for what, four years now? Start the basics. You got saved. Now what? Discipleship 101, Discipleship 102, Introduction in Apologetics, How to Share Your Faith, and now we're in the study of, hey, learn the other cultures out there so you can witness to them. That's the whole point. It's not about a debate. It's about sharing the gospel because if you don't, this is coming. You got to do something. This is serious. So he said, we're sounding the alarm, right? So that's what he was saying. In fact, uh, Ed uh, Stetzer, he's the executive director of Lifeway Research, he said he's been forecasting for years that we have been in decline for years. And he says, listen, it's not reversing. It is accelerating. It's accelerating. So this is crunch time. We better take this serious and get busy making a difference, okay? Not wishing that somebody somehow can develop some program for some church, somebody somewhere. It's each one of us individually, even here at Sunrise, myself included. You want to make a difference? You share the gospel. Lead souls to Jesus Christ, at least Give them a fighting chance, okay? Now, let's take a look at uh, the, the uh, Islamic groups, okay? Because one of the big things that's uh, a misnomer out there is that, hey, man, these guys are all unified. And they're all... No, they're not, okay? They got different divisions within Islam, which by itself is a sin, according to the Quran. We'll get to that in a second, right? Let's take a look at the, the, the groups. The two major groups, okay, of Islam are called the Sunni and the Shiites. You guys hear about that in the news? It's out there a lot. The Sunnis comprised... 
Uh, the 85%, some say 90, of all Muslims. Shiites comprise less than 15%, with some other smaller uh, sects making up the rest. We'll get into that in just a second. The schism, which originally divided the groups, began when Muhammad failed to appoint a successor before his death. Uh-oh. Now what are you going to do? Right? The Sunnis believe that the successor should be elected, okay, where the Shiites believe the successor should be from among Muhammad's blood relatives. Okay, there's your big split right there. The Sunnis stress the authority of written traditions, where the Shiites stress the authority of pop-like leaders. Pop-like uh, is your blank there. Okay, the Sunnis separate the offices of religious and civil authorities, but the Shiites join the offices of religious and civil authorities, and the Shiite populations constitute a majority in Iran, Iraq, Bahrain, uh, Azerbaijan. There are also significant populations in Afghanistan, Kuwait, Lebanon, Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, Syria, and Yemen. Okay, but let me go a little bit deeper into those divisions and add another one to it. Okay, there's a whole bunch of them. I don't have time to get into all of them, but let me, let me go a little bit deeper. In the 8th century AD, there arose a school of experts who interpreted the uh, Islamic uh, studies in different situations throughout the empire, but other different scholars disagreed with them, and here came the split. And this is why you have the two major groups today. Again, the Sunni and the Shiites. Okay, now the Sunnis, again, they're the majority. They emphasize the power and sovereignty of Allah, and his right to do whatever in the world he wants to do with his creation. Strict determination is taught, again, Islam, uh, to submit. A Muslim is a submitted one. Uh, its rulership is through what's called a caliphate. If you've seen that in the news, okay, a caliphate, okay, is what they uh, use. And that's the office of the Muslim ruler who's considered the successor of Muhammad, not through the bloodline. Remember, that's the major difference. This is just a hereditary thing, they, right? So he's called the caliphate. Now, the Shiites... Okay, the Shiites, uh, they split with them over the issue of the successor. And, uh, and uh, of course, they believe it's supposed to be a blood relative. But listen to this. The split occurred after the, the careful, loving vote that they all had after a logical discussion. Oh, I'm sorry, read wrong translation. Uh, after the assassination of the fourth caliph in 661, right? So even then, <laughs> kill, kill him. of course, I don't know if they had the guns back then, but that makes a neat noise for a bow and arrow. I don't know, whatever they use, sword. Uh, but Shiites believe that the success for, uh, successor to Muhammad should have been Ali, his son-in-law, and that subsequent, uh, subsequent successor should have been through his lineage to his wife, Fatima. Uh, Shiiteism is broken into three main uh, uh, sects, and uh, Shiite theology inc includes a doctrine known as the five supports, the uh, divine unity, prophecy, resurrection of the soul and body at the judgment, and the imamate and justice. Now, let's focus on this imamate because that's another big term that's used in the media. We don't realize uh, what's going on. The imam. Have you ever heard of that? The uh, Islam or Muslim imam. What's an imam? Well, that's what this teaching is. Imam in Shiite traditions is the political and religious leader of the Shiite sect. This person, listen to this, uh, possesses great power, supposedly, uh, and influence. And according to Shiite doctrine, the imam must be a biological successor of Ali, a blood relative. And imam is also, listen, sinless and infallible. Does anybody else have that kind of a pop-like leader? Oh, that's right, I'm with the Pope, whoever said that. And, uh, but yeah, they, that's the same thing. They believe he's the vicar of Christ in place of Christ, and then whatever he says is just as good as the Bible. Right? Well, again, we'll get to that Lord one with Catholicism. So if you will, when you see imam, that is literally their Pope-like leader. But it goes even further than that. The imam, okay, is not only supposedly sinless and infallible on all matters of Islamic doctrine, so whatever he says goes, and he will supposedly intercede for the Muslims in the afterlife. Think there's a little bit of control with that? Think you better submit to that guy and what he says? A little leverage? Okay. Sufis. Now, that's another smaller group. I wanted to add this one because we talked about the Sunnis and the Shiites. Now we got the Sufis. Okay. And these are the people that are on the coast and they're. No, that's surfers, Dom. Thank you for paying attention. These are the Sufis. Okay. And this is a mystical group. Okay. To give you a vernacular, it's kind of like the charismatics in the church today. Oh, you know, it's about experience. Okay, with some of that stuff. A mystical tradition where followers seek inner mystical knowledge. Okay, and uh, uh, the Sufi mystic must follow a path of deprivation and meditation. Okay, worldly things are supposed to be renounced. And the goal of a Sufi uh, Muslim is to attain a higher knowledge and experience of Allah. The mystical focus meant that the Quran could be interpreted in different ways. Remember we saw before some of the dangerous ways that people approach the scripture. I think that that... 
153 fish in the net there really symbolizes the one plus the five is six with the three times three is really 666, the mark of the beast. And the net represents humanity. No, it's 153 fish. It's a bunch. It's a big catch. That's all it was. But that's how people, right? And that's what they do with the Quran, this group. Oh, they do that, so, you know, there's some similarities uh, with that. It basically has led them into what's called pantheism. All is God, all is one, the universe. So believe it or not, there's that uh, section there. Now, as you can see, they're not a united religious uh, system, right? They don't have that. And uh, there's divisions amongst divisions, and there's even smaller ones and sub ones and all that stuff, and I don't have time to get into all that. But the Quran actually tells the Muslims, you're not supposed to have any divisions. This is from Surah 42, 13, that ye should remain steadfast in religion and make no divisions therein so right there even if you don't even want to bring up the sufis you want to stick to the main two the sunnis and the shiites and if you want to in love have fun with this uh approach a muslim uh, they must admit that these two divisions is sin according to the quran okay may not go over too well but the concern is and listen we're all here in america we're about uh religious freedom okay which includes christianity all right and that's a whole other topic right but it seems to be now at the exclusion of christianity Okay, but hey, listen, we're here. We're welcome. You're right. You do that. If you come here in America and you become an American and a citizen and follow, you know, the Constitution, Bill of Rights, law-abiding citizen, come on in, right? That's the problem with this belief system, folks, is they will not do that. They cannot do that. In fact, they admit that they won't do that. Okay, and it's not just a difference of political ideals and following what our government says and our founding fathers and our founding documents. Uh, our very safety is at hand. Okay, our very way of life. Okay, now let me share with you some statistics on uh, the Muslim population here in America and what they believe, right? Are they submitting to the U.S. Constitution? And I mean, you're supposed to when you become a citizen, right? You're supposed to follow. 58% of Muslims in America right now say uh, criticism of Islam or Muhammad should not be protected under free speech. Right there, you just... You're not following it. This is what they say. This is what they believe. This is a core value to them. 45% believe, this is in America, believe that mockers of Islam should face criminal charges. You should go to jail. Where's the free speech in that? 12% of Muslim Americans believe that blaspheming Islam right now should be punishable by death in the United States. Not over there in the Middle East, right here in the, middle, in the United States. And it's growing. And you don't think it's, they're going to try to change things? You're fooling yourself, okay? 43% of Muslim Americans believe that people of other faiths have no right to evangelize, so to criminalize that, okay? And 32% of Muslim Americans believe that Sharia, Sharia law, should be, this is almost half, at least that would admit, I personally think it's higher if you're going to be a true Muslim. I don't agree with it, right? But you, that, that half believe that Sharia law should be the supreme law of the land, which means this is the law that needs to be followed here in the United States. Now, what is that law? We'll get to that in just a second. But I want to show you how they're literally not just coming over here, but they're literally changing town from town to town, turning them into Islamic communities. One of the biggest ones that the news is just starting to pick up on, okay, at least admit, it's been for a while, is in Dearborn, Michigan. Watch what's happening over there. Let's take a look. Dearborn, Michigan is called the Arabic capital of North America. Almost 50% of the city is Muslim. They control the city council and the police chief is also Muslim. So where are you from? Iraq. I'm from uh, Lebanon. Palestine. Where are you from? Yemen. Yemen. From Yemen. Got to be careful of the drone strikes. What do you think about all the Muslims here in Dearborn? They're bad. They're not friendly. They don't speak to you. Do you miss the deserts? Pretty cold here. It is very cold, but that's we've been here a long time. What do you do for a living? Middle East financial services. Financial services? Yeah, send money overseas or receive money. Well, that sounds suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> Which way is Mecca? Mecca this way. You sure? Yes. What is Sharia law? The Sharia is uh, loved by the, the Holy Quran and by the Prophet Muhammad. Do you want Sharia law here in America? It's good if it's behind. What do you think is the higher power, the Constitution or Sharia law? Sharia of law, if they follow on it, it's better, you know? When people hear the word terrorist, they automatically think Muslims. There is a reason for that. Yeah, yeah, I do agree with you. Have you ever seen any suspicious activity here? 
Last year there was a there was a woman stoned. Um, not too long ago, I read, you know, there was an honor killing because a girl bought condoms. I mean, yeah, that 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 keeps you on edge. In the United States of America, killing and stoning. Got another video. Maybe I'll share it later. Or maybe I'll just verbalize it now. But some Christians were in there sharing the gospel, and they're on tape. They got the, they recorded it, and they're literally being stoned and pelted. And the police arrested them. In America. It's literally being uh, taken over. Okay, but they kept saying something about this Sharia law. What in the world is Sharia law? Well, they said, hey, remember, they, and they admitted it. This is what we want. This, is, this, is what we, this, is, this would be better. This is what we're here for. Listen to what. Sharia law is, of course, the law of Islam based on the actions and the words of Muhammad. Okay? And it covers a wide uh, range of topics. Listen, public behavior, private behavior, and even private beliefs have to submit, that's the word, submit to this. Of all legal systems in the world today, Islam Sharia law is the most intrusive and strict, especially against women. And you think, oh, this will never happen here in America. Well, just by nature, if you want to skip, we haven't even got to this yet, what's going to happen if something doesn't turn around? We're going to become a Muslim nation very quickly, and they're going to have the upper hand. It's toast, folks. This is where we're at. Now, let me give you some things that are uh, contained in Sharia law. This is what they say they want to have here in our United States. Theft is punishable by amputation of the right hand. Do they still, you don't believe it? You want to come up here? Here's a graphic picture. Here's a guy who got his hand chopped off, right? Just that's, that's how they handle that. That's part of their law that they want to bring here. Uh, criticizing or denying any part of the Quran is punishable by death. Criticizing, denying Muhammad as the prophet is punishable by death. Criticizing or denying Allah is punishable by death. Does this sound like a nice law? No. A Muslim who becomes a non-Muslim is punishable by death. Had a guy was in at one of my internships in Sacramento in Bible College. Uh, actually, uh, met a guy uh, who his name it was kind of cool. He had a ministry called Intense Intense Ministry. His play on words. Intense. And he 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 built his name is Paul, Christian. He built tents, big huge tents, like big circus tents, and he gave them to churches that want to do evangelistic events all for free. It was a really cool ministry, so I was helping him with that. Anyway, so he had a guy, a Muslim guy, living with him. I forget his name, but he was living with him because he was on the run. Because his family in Sacramento tried to kill him. He became a Christian. Okay, he came home. He was excited. He began to share with his wife and the several family members who were living there. They literally, what they did was he told them, they got all mad. They literally stabbed him in the stomach. They stabbed him, tried to kill him right there on the spot. He went to the hospital, survived. By the time he got out, they had liquidated his account, and basically he was flee, fled for his life, and he was staying with this Paul guy. This really happens, folks, even in the United States of America. This is the law that they want to bring. A non-Muslim who leads a Muslim away from Islam, punishable by death. So if you lead somebody to Christ, you die. Okay, A non-Muslim man who marries a Muslim woman okay, is punishable by death. You can't marry their, uh, their kind a, ma a man can marry an infant girl and consummate the marriage when she is nine years old. Well, where'd that come from? What did Muhammad do? We saw last week. That's part of his history. Uh, the girl's uh, clitoris should be cut. Female uh, genital mutilation is what's going on there. So that she can, some reports say that so she cannot enjoy the sex act. You want to bring that here to America. Okay. A woman can have one husband, but a man can have up to four wives. A man can unilaterally divorce his wife, but a woman needs her husband's consent to divorce. A man can beat his wife for insubordination. Testimonies of four male witnesses are required to prove a rape against a woman. Four. A woman who has been raped cannot testify in court against her rapists. A woman's testimony in court, allowed only in property cases, carries only half the weight of a man's. A female heir inherits half of what a male inherits, and a woman cannot, this is, not, I'm still, this is in the news if you look for it, a woman cannot drive a car as it leads to fitnah, which means upheaval. You want that here? A woman cannot speak alone to a man who is not her husband or relative. Meat must be eaten, meat, meat to be eaten must come from animals that have been sacrificed to Allah, and Muslims engage in what is called yeah, I don't know how that, that's the correct pronunciation, but that is lying to non-Muslims to advance Islam. And you're going, well, you got to be kidding me. Are you serious? They would lie to our face 
on purpose, and their religion says it's okay. I mean, there wouldn't be people in the public eye right now who's lying to us to our face, and they're really advancing the cause of... Yeah, maybe in a couple of weeks we'll get to that. But let's take a look at this teaching uh, called Tekaya, how we pronounce that. But you can check it out yourself, folks, and this is really what it's taught. Muslims are taught to deceive the kafar, that's you and I, the non-Muslim, about their true beliefs in order to defend the cause of Islam and jihad. Okay, Muslims will attempt to disassociate Islam from terrorist acts in order to win sympathy and public opinion, especially in countries where they are outnumbered by non-Muslims. So this is how you make it until you get the population to supersede. You lie. Oh, no. We're not really a part of the terrorist. How many guys heard that on the news? Well, they must be telling the truth. Believe it or not, in their religion, that's what they're encouraged to do. Lie through your teeth. It's perfectly okay. No big deal, apparently, with Allah to advance Islam. Okay? Uh, they will say that the act does not represent true Islam when it does. How many have heard that? Oh, the real Muslims are peaceful and loving. Yeah, over 60% of the Quran contains verses about killing the kafar, you and I, not just the Jewish people, uh, anybody, a non-Muslim, are forcing them to live under servitude and pay a heavy tax known as the jizya. We saw that uh, last week. Islamic Sharia law requires all Muslims to pay a charity tithe called the zakat. A portion of the zakat is required to uh, be used to fund jihadists such as Al-Qaeda, Hamas, Hezbollah, and Taliban. If they truly oppose terrorism, they say, oh, we're the peaceful kind, then they would not pay the zakat. Right? So since 9-11, people say, oh, you're just picking on these people. Since 9-11, Muslims have committed over, listen, 23,000, not 23, not 2,300, 23,000 acts of terror, just since 9-11. I, for, I should have just, I should have done the stats on that. How many a day is that? Right? How, break that baby down, right? 90% of all terrorist acts are committed by Muslims. Remember the girl in there? Everybody, when you see Muslims, you think terrorists. What was the guy's response? Oh, there's a reason for that. <laughs> yeah, 90%, right? right? And the guy says, the question is, why are we bending over backwards to let them in when their intended agenda is to destroy us? Why are we listening when a bunch of Muslims go on TV and try to tell us that there are a lot of things, but they're not terrorists? And yet, their own teaching tells them to lie to our face to advance the cause of Islam. Okay, And it is working like a charm. Now, remember the, the reason why I almost cut that video off, but I wanted to share that the first one, the last one with all the statistics, and it talked about how a meeting was held in all places. Chicago, Chicago, Chicago. Who came from Chicago? Uh, anyway, so Chicago, and, and part of uh, that meeting is they determined how they were going to, of course, use population, but they're also going to use the second one we finally get to, Islamization. They're going to begin to introduce this into our society. And if you notice, it was political, it was also educational, et cetera, et cetera. So let's take a look at some of that work that's been done. Okay, the number of court cases that involve conflicts between civil law and Sharia law in America is rising. Now, there's been several states that have tried to ban uh, Sharia law from ever being implemented, but what is holding a lot of these back is from money, is Muslims with money that are putting a stop to this. They're lobbying. They're paying these guys off, right? And there's certain states. Uh, in fact, uh, Oklahoma's law from banning Sharia law was actually struck down at one point. Other conservative states like Louisiana, Arizona, North Carolina, South Dakota, Tennessee, Kansas, and Alabama have been able to pass Sharia law limiting legislation only after watering them down and not even be able to mention Sharia. So how, how, how would that hold up? Plus, again, all this is just trying to get this implemented, but if you don't do something about this, it doesn't matter anyway. But they're not even waiting for that. They're pushing this forward. So they're going through the politics and they're lobbying, they're paying people off, right? And they got big cash. You know why they got big cash? Because a lot of those countries have oil. And they're using that cash to basically buy our politicians off so they'll keep their mouth shut against legislation that prevents them from this. All right, let's continue on. Now, they're also doing it through other ways. Now, one of the big ones, okay, uh, is through the education factor. Right on. How many of you guys got every single one of these scribbles written down? 
praise God, right, uh, is the education factor. Let me give you just a couple of those examples. Our schools, folks, are being taken over, okay? An increasing number of public schools, and this is the tip of the tip of the tip of the iceberg I want to show with you, okay? And uh, uh, an increasing number of American public schools with Muslim students are holding Islamic prayers towards Mecca, while public American universities continue to build Muslim-only uh, washing facilities. Oh, and by the way, you can't pray in Jesus' name. At the same time, this is being allowed. You can't, okay. Okay, in 2013, uh, a school district in Illinois became the first U.S. school district to celebrate uh, one of the uh, portions of Ramadan, uh, uh, Al-Adha, and we'll get into that more when we get into the doctrine in a couple weeks, Lord willing. Okay, and they, they replaced it, they put that in there, the Muslim holiday, in lieu of Veterans Day. Take that out, put that one in. You've got to be kidding me. In 2014, the Rocky Mountain High School in Fort Collins, Colorado, became the first high school to recite the Pledge of Allegiance in Arabic, replacing one nation under God with one nation under Allah in our country. So you don't think that they're having inroads with the NEA, the National Education System, and they're not paying people to get this stuff into the school? Now, the thing is, whew, good thing it doesn't have any effect on the students. This is creepy. I just came across this a couple weeks ago. Somebody actually got this on tape. This is at a major university here in the United States. Listen to this girl, and you tell me if Islam and wanting to kill the infidel here in America, if they wouldn't do it. This is from a girl. Watch this. Yes. Good evening. Uh, I just wanted to say thank you for coming to campus tonight and uh, presenting your point of view. It's always valuable to have two sets of uh, views going on at the same time. Um, very useful. Uh, my name is Jumana Imad Musa Ahmed Al-Bahri, um, and I'm a student here at UCSD. Uh, I was uh, reading your literature. I found that much more interesting than the talk. And um, I found some interesting things about the MSA, which is an organization that's very active on campus, and it is hosting uh, our annual Hitler Youth Week. You should come out to those events. Um, if you could clarify the connection between the MSA and jihad terrorist networks, because yeah, last, last I checked, we had to do our own fundraising. And uh, we never get help from anyone. So if you could clarify the connection between UCSD's MSA, or if you don't have such information, if you could connect other MSAs on UCs, because the connection wasn't too clear in the pamphlet. Just if you could clarify. Okay. Will you uh, condemn Hamas here and now? I'm sorry, what? Will you condemn Hamas? Would I condemn Hamas? As a terrorist organ, genocidal organ. Are you asking me to put myself on a cross? So you won't. I, I actually have had this experience many times. You didn't read the pamphlet because the pamphlet is chapter and verse. Uh, the main connection is that the MSA is part of the Muslim Brotherhood network as revealed in the documents. I don't think you understood what anyway, I meant by that. I is, meant if I say something, I'm sure that I will be arrested for reasons of Homeland Security. So if you could please just answer my question. If you condemn Hamas, Homeland Security will arrest you. If I support you. Hamas, because your question forces me to condemn Hamas, if I support Hamas, well, I look really bad. If you bad. don't condemn Hamas, obviously you support it. Case closed. <laughs> I have had this experience, uh, I give you, I had this experience at UC Santa Barbara where there were 50 members of the Muslim Students Association sitting right in the rows there. And throughout my hour talk, I kept asking them, will you condemn Hezbollah and Hamas? Uh, and none of them would. And then when the question period came, the president of the Muslim Students Association was the first person to ask questions. And I said, you know, before you start, will you condemn Hezbollah? And he said, well, that question is too complicated for a yes-no answer. So I said, okay, I'll put it to you this way. I'm a Jew. The head of Hezbollah has said that he hopes that we will gather in Israel so he doesn't have to hunt us down globally. For it or against it? For it. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you for coming and showing everybody what's, what's here.
and you're wearing a, a terrorist neckerchief. In America. In our schools. But a good thing this has no effect on the kids. No, they know exactly what they're doing. Population and Islamization introducing this into your country, paying people off in the politics, also in the educational system. Okay, but let me give you some other examples. In 1996, Bill Clinton became the first U.S. president to hold the Eid al-Fitr dinner at the White House to celebrate the uh, end of Ramadan. That's what that part's about. Uh, and that includes six uh, beers uh, raising the hands and shelling Allahu Akbar and declaring that uh, Allah is greatest. So it's been going on. I think somebody contributed to his fund, maybe, a little. In 2000, you think, oh, it's just those uh, Democrats. Remember what we talked about before? Hey, I'm still, uh, believe you me, I'm not saying don't vote. I still personally vote. Uh, usually the people I vote for uh, most times won't have any chance of ever getting in there. Because there's always, if you look hard enough in the fine print there, there's somebody that will stand for the Bill of Rights of the Constitution. So uh, I do it still based on principle, and I think you need to vote. So don't misunderstand me. But we've been, uh, and if every Christian voted on principle, it'd be a different story. We've been chosen, we've been, we have been lied to that we need to vote between the lesser of two evils. You show me the verse. The Bible says you vote no evil. But if all Christians were to rise up, at least professing Christians, okay, even that, and were to vote on principles, then these guys that you say have no chance that could ever win, they could actually win. But we've been conditioned to choose the lesser of two evils. Back to this. You think it's just Democrats? Uh-uh. Republicans, folks, are doing the same thing, even on this issue. Okay, I, uh, I'll never forget the one guy uh, had put it this way. He says, listen, let me, let me narrow it down. Democrats, Republicans, here's what's going on today. If I were to come to you and say, all right, who do you want to vote for? Do you want uh, uh, the Gambinos or the Corleones? <laughs> That's what you got. They're both sleeping in the same bed, folks. Okay, now, we, I still think that if we were to vote on principle, all of us, instead of choosing the lesser two evil, uh, we could turn things around. But in 2000, the Republican National Convention, not just Democrats, became the first U.S. presidential convention to open with a Muslim prayer to Allah. Republicans. In 2007, the Quran, for the first time, was used to swear into office a new U.S. congressman, Keith Ellison. They used the Quran to do that. In 2009, Hudson County Superior Court Judge Joseph Charles uh, Jr. ruled okay, that uh, the Muslim, an, a Muslim ex-husband, he had repeatedly sexually assaulted his Muslim ex-wife, both before and after their divorce. Following the testimony of the Muslim man's imam, you know, who's sinless, and what he says is the end result of everything. Right, after that guy's testimony, the judge denied the ex-wife's request for a permanent restraining order against her ex-husband, citing the Muslim's man belief and practices. Quote, the court believes that the defendant was operating under his belief that it is, as the husband, his desire to have sex when and uh, whether he wanted to was something that was consistent with his practices. That's a court in the United States. So you may not have instituted yet Sharia law legally, but with the pressure that you're doing, in essence, it's already starting to happen. And I thought about this. I said, well, excuse, so that's your justification for letting this guy off? Uh, wh what? Did you know that, and that's, that's your, for, for, he was consistent with his practices and that makes it okay? Hey, did you know that there are people who their religious practice is to eat other people called cannibals? But I guess that's okay. It's consistent with their religion. That's his rationale. In 2009, a Christian U.S. soldier at the uh, Bagram Air Force Base in Afghanistan received Bibles in two local languages sent by his American church as planned to witness, to share. The military confiscated those Bibles, and instead of at least returning them to the church, they burned them. Contrast that when Terry Jones, a pastor in Florida, announced his plan to burn a copy of the Koran. Remember that? Yeah. Everything broke loose. And of course, uh, with all due respect, Hillary Clinton denounced it as disgraceful. So you can burn Bibles, but don't you even think about touching the Koran. Do you think somebody's got some influences in the politics now? Okay. Now, to attract, it's also going into another political, educational, or court system, also with the finances. I'm telling you folks, unfortunately, money is the root of all kinds of evil, as the scripture says. To attract and manage Middle Eastern Muslim wealth, 
An increasing number of American financial institutions are becoming Sharia compliant. So if you want our money, if you want our businesses, if we want to give to you, you have to become Sharia. So even though it's not legally right now, they're still getting it done with this. All right, now the problem is this requires donating a percentage of their profits, this is part of the deal they have to cut, to Islamic organizations, okay, many of whom are members of the Muslim Brotherhood, and this is used to finance terrorism and jihad. It's crazy. And one more, uh, Muslim taxi drivers are now challenging local authorities for the right, listen to this, for the right to refuse to pick up blind passengers with seeing eye dogs because according to the Quran, that's considered unclean. And Muslim supermarket cashiers, they just work there, are challenging their employers for the right to refuse to sell products from pigs. Time to get another job. About as kind as I can put it. Sorry. Get another job. Right? Welcome to America. What's wrong with that? Now, the challenge is what's happening is the media is starting to pick up on this. Okay? And uh, they're realizing, folks, we are hitting crunch time. We'll close after this one. Let's take a look. A shocking new video from documentary filmmaker Ami Horowitz reveals that some American Muslims living in Minneapolis would prefer Sharia law right here in the U.S. Watch this. Do you feel more comfortable living under American law or do you feel more comfortable living under uh, Sharia law? Uh, Sharia law. I'm a Muslim. I prefer Sharia law. Sharia law, yes. You prefer uh, Sharia law over American law? Of course, yeah. Of course, yeah. And do you find most of your friends uh, say, feel the same way? Yeah, of course, if you're Muslim, yeah. Joining me now, Fox News contributor Ami Horowitz is with us. Okay, tell, tell us the circumstances under which you got this video. Well, the, the, sort of the genesis of it was I spent a lot of time doing these videos all across the world, and whenever I'm in Europe, I'm just, I marvel at the fact that there's such a lack of integration between the, in the Muslim community all across Europe, you know, in France and London. And, you know, we, we have so, so many terrorist attacks going on. You know, over the past 12 months, we've had over a dozen terrorist attacks here in the United States. And in Minnesota in particular, there have been maybe 20 to 40 Minneapolis-based Muslims who have gone to fight for ISIS and al-Shabaab. And it, it blew me away. I couldn't believe it. So I said, i got to go find out what's going on. So I decided to go Are these natural-born American citizens, or are they immigrants? The vast majority of the people I spoke to were either born here or they immigrated here legally and grew up in, 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 in the United States. I guess, considering that this is the antithesis of American values, the treatment of women and freedom of speech. For example, let me run this next tape that these people that, you, that Ami interviewed actually said it should be illegal to make fun of the Prophet Muhammad. Watch this. Would it be better if we made it illegal in America to make fun of the Prophet Muhammad? Definitely, yeah. Do you think we should make a law that makes it illegal to... to, to that would be better, yeah. That would be better yeah. to stop, you know, yeah. uh, aggression. I was so upset and I was so mad. They insulted our religion, they insulted our prophet, and we couldn't take it. And they shouldn't be allowed to do that? Oh, my God. Big time, yes. Big time, yes. So, so they don't believe in freedom of speech. They don't believe in American values. So then the question here... You know, they have every right to believe that, but here's the question. Are we going to allow people that are pushing for values that contradict American values, something as simple as freedom of speech, that want to restrict freedom of speech or restrict the rights of women, that they should live under Sharia law? Should we allow them to come here? I think that's a fair question. Fair question. Very uh, great question. And who is it right now that is getting lambasted by the media because he had the audacity to say, we need to take a look at this Muslim immigration thing. I don't know. I'm not saying I, I agree with necessarily with everything with uh, Mr. Trump. Okay. But on that issue, I think that's a fair statement. Right? And I don't know. I'm not going to say he doesn't have his fingers in the pot either. But could it be the reason why he doesn't have a problem voicing that is because he doesn't have supporters who were telling him to laugh and scoff at a, whoa, interesting. 
It's spread a lot faster, folks, than I think a lot of people realize. As you can see, it's a complete antithesis of everything that we believe in, uh, even in our own country. Now, it didn't get that far, so Lord willing, we're going to pick up next week. Believe it or not, it gets even worse. Yeah, thanks for coming. Okay, because next week, we're going to take a look, Lord willing, at what's going on. These groups, it's just not they're overtaking populations of town and increasing the population of the United States. They are developing what are called cell groups, and it's, even as uh, Hannity just admitted, some people are already being re recruited here in the United States to go join ISIS. And if you don't think at some point, if the order was given, do that same thing here in the United States, you're living in, once again, la-la land. But Lord willing, we'll take a look at that, as well as, Lord willing, uh, we'll take a look at uh, a lot of other stuff that's coming down the pipe of this. But uh, as we get equipped... And again, what's the answer? I know what we need to do is eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. We need to use the sword of man like they do. No. What's the solution, folks? Whether it's Islam, whether it's Jehovah's Witnesses, whoever it is, they need Jesus. You want to stop somebody from doing a jihad on you? You want to stop somebody from killing you? Make them a Christian, which only God can, but share the gospel. Christian's not going to do that. A real Christian. That's the solution. Until we get back to that, we're in a heap of trouble. Amen? Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief, okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word, Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy, okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that, and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. 
Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a of death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that? right now well this has been pastor billy crone of sunrise baptist church and and get a life ministries and if there's anything that we can do for you uh please don't hesitate uh to contact us uh our number our information will uh come up here on the screen shortly and uh, uh if there's anything we could do for you please don't hesitate to let us know uh thank you for uh joining us and uh remember i hope to see you in heaven god bless